and welcome to The Dirt, in association with Envy. We're the podcast that celebrates all elements of gardening, but maybe not the slugs. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Laura's co-host, Blake. As always, we'll be providing some ideas and inspiration for things you should be doing in your garden this week, later in the show, and going beyond the headlines of the latest horticulture news. But first, we're joined by David Boggess from Colchester. So welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Blake. And I'm so happy to have a fellow person from Colchester on the line with us. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you might be our first Colchester-based guest. Good, well, I'm looking forward to talking about some of my garden experience from gardening in Colchester and um, specifically talking about um, how how plants grow in my garden because I think all all gardeners' microclimates are different. Yeah, that's yeah, so true. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll dive straight in with that and just um, we'll ease you in gently and ask, would you be able to tell us about some of your biggest gardening successes? Yeah, I think um, successes and failures tend to sort of come into one really because mm. the, the main thing I've learned through gardening over more than five decades now is that um, mm. you're always learning something and, and to be a success is to always learn from a previous failure or mini failure mm-hmm. and to take that on further whether you have to put that forward next season or whether you can you know change things as you, as you go you know, never never just come up with a plan and stick to that plan you, you often have to change your plan as you go mm. whether that be due to the weather the climate the aspect um, d- diseases in the soil other seasonal matters mm, yeah and um you you've been in your the garden that you've got now for quite a while haven't you so there must yes. have been lots of things that you've amended over time and have you seen successes come from what you've learned about your garden yes I mean there's certain things that I was able to put in place right from the start the good thing was it was almost like a blank canvas we moved here at the beginning of 2007 in the January that was good because I could get a a new greenhouse put in before the growing season, take turf off about a third of the garden, which is the allotment bit in effect, mm. plant plant trees, um, plant fruit bushes, some of which I've moved over, over time and they haven't worked in particular places. Mm-hmm. And particularly think about um, what's where and where I'm going to plant things. And also looking at your planting and, and thinking about the, um, the aspect of the garden. That's a key planning thing right from the start. I can mm. tell a bit more about that if you like. Yeah, yeah, that would be great because um, you actually mentioned before we started recording that the your knowledge of that actually comes from a previous job you had, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I was a teacher for nearly thirty years. All right. Taught in various secondary schools in Suffolk and Essex, including two in Colchester, and um, I taught geography um, as well as having a senior job after that. Um, and I've got a particular interest in weather and climate. I think you can really um, you know, ignore those things at your peril as a, as a gardener, mm-hmm. I, I would yeah. say. So if we talk about my garden here, I mean, it faces, uh, the back garden faces east, or looking out of the back door faces east, so you've got sun coming into the house in the morning. But one of the first things I did was put the, um, the vegetable garden on the north side of the garden, which mm-hmm. obviously means the sun's coming from the south, or you know, the sun east-southwest You've got it throughout the day, so mm. I put the fruit trees then on the, on the more on the south side because once they've over, overgrown the fence, they're still getting the sun. Yeah. One thing about planting is all the, all the planting of the vegetables in the, in their rows is um, north south planting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite a good tip because if the sun rises in the east, go around to the south, sits in, in the west. Your, your plants in their rows are getting even sun throughout the 
throughout the day. Whereas mm-hmm. um, if you do east-west planting, then everything's going to try and grow south and you've got plants, in effect, on the wonk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so have you had any crops that have particularly stood out to you um, since you've been growing in this garden? Is there anything that grows really amazingly well where? Well, I'm, I'm pretty pride myself on the tomatoes I, I grow about 40 different tomatoes in the, or 40 different tomato plants in the greenhouse each year wow um and um maximizing the space i've got a 16 foot by 8 foot rhino greenhouse mm. um use grow bags for that i really believe in using quality um you can buy cheap grow bags that dry out by lunchtime and if you're out you've come home and your tomatoes wilting yeah you're more likely to get blo- um, blossom in drop then um so use the best expensive grow bags. I use the Tom Wright deep field grow bags. Mm. I've paid six, six pounds each for them this year. But if you end up with 50 quid worth of tomatoes off each grow bag or, or more, then it's worth it. Yeah. I think that when, um, when you're starting out as well, David, it's sometimes difficult, um, to know where to spend the money because it can be quite expensive if you're starting out and you need to start from scratch and, right. and so sometimes you do like to cut corners a bit so it is interesting when you hear from somebody like yourself who's able to say look this is the best place to maybe spend a little bit more on something rather than going cheap because uh you know you can't cut corners on everything because I, I think there's many areas where you can cut corners as you just said you just got to know the right corners to cut yeah I, I have lots of large pots which i put on the patio which i put peppers and chili plants in there's other things that i grow a lot of yeah maybe about five chili chili plants or pepper plants to a really big pot mm. um now mixed in with that i i use my own compost and um chicken manure for my own chickens mixed in with um bought compost that you know mix it all together that obviously saves money mm-hmm. it also helps with moisture retention too because some um, you know particularly peat-based compost tend to dry out a lot as well so you, you can cut corners on that mm. if you're putting things in to your greenhouse that you know, the greenhouse in the summer is very hot that's why crops come on very well and you need to um if you're watering in the morning you you don't want to come back to wilted plants in the afternoon if you've been to work yeah but out for the day or, or, or whatever it is on the other side of the coin there is what what you can't have your tomatoes doing is literally sitting in water i saw somebody once who had their pots sitting in like sort of troughs of water that's no good because that just drowns your plants because they need the oxygen and um, you end up with black tomatoes or, or wilted plants from that. Mm. So they need regular watering, but they also need to be able to, you know, to breathe. And a lot of people don't necessarily think that plants need to breathe, but they do. Yeah. Um, there's many other crops that are successful and there's also some that are un- un- unsuccessful, I-, I-, I would say. You just got to learn from your own garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could say something about onions. Now. You can tell us about your about your onions. Well, knowing your onions just sounds a bit of a <laughs> metaphor, doesn't it? But actually, yeah. that's one of, that's one of the things that I've tried to to persevere with here. And compared to when I had my previous vegetable garden in Ipswich, um, onions, garlic, shallots here, to a lesser extent leeks, but particularly the the first three haven't been that successful. And it's basically due to white rot or fusillaria. Mm. And um, you, I, I I hear from a, a a friend of mine who actually works for a local onion company that um it's sort of you know, endemic to this area and once you get it in, in your soil it's there for 20 25 years and you know you you think so no I, I, can, I can beat this i'll try again this year i'll try again and the onions come sort of half through and just starting to make their bulbs and then they literally wilt you look underneath it's horrible sort of stinky white gunk un- underneath them mm-hmm. so that's a crop where i've sort of either grown less of or um 
had to I had to give up on to give up on really. Yeah. Um. So bringing you round to um that that side of things, the other side of the gardening coin, can you tell us about any things that you've had that haven't gone quite so well, or any funny failures, or any strange things that have happened in the garden? Yeah. I mean, there's all <laughs> there's all sorts of things that I'm, I mentioned that future scenario. Um. I was, I was thinking back to examples. I mean, I've, I've been growing things in the garden since I was a young child and used to grow a lot of bedding plants with my father, which we, we used to sell back in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And I can remember one year we had all these bedding plants ready, like sort of to go out. And then it was June the 2nd and there was a really hard frost. And literally in today's money, we lost hundreds of pounds worth of plants um, killed by an air frost. I think it, it was the year after the Mount St. Helens earthquake and there had been a particularly cold winter that yeah, because um, this dust had gone around the earth. But mm. you know, we're worrying about frost now in late April, which again is a worry for gardeners. But a frost on June June the second was you know, really un, un, unusual, which yeah. really goes back to learning and reading the garden. This particular garden was in a frost hollow, and you know, frost um, cold air sinks. If you've got things down the bottom of a sloping garden, that's where the coldest temperatures are going to be. Mm. So, and so that was a good example, I suppose. Yeah. Um, other examples about seeds, really. I mean, all gardeners keep seeds, and I, I keep them in different pots and tubs and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. There's certain seed where if you've not used it all this year, it, it isn't going to be any good. I mean, mm. The best example there is parsnip seeds. You know, that just, just does not keep. Yeah. You've got any parsnips left from your sowing this year, and if you don't come up, yeah, okay, do a bit of spot sowing in your, in your row. Mm-hmm. But 2021 parsnip seed, in my experience, won't be any good for 2022. Yeah. See, I'm I'm terrible for that. I I hoard seeds and I always yes. think, oh, I may as well just try it. I think I actually really need to go through my seed stores and <laughs> do some sort of proper inventory of them. <laughs> yeah, I sort of have a box from different years and, and actually some things do keep well. I mean, I've sown some poor beans this year. I found a packet of seed in an old seed box. I'm trying to keep everything airtight from 2017. Mm. Wow. And, wow. And I bought this massive one kilogram bag of um, Masterpiece Green Long Pod Broad Bean Seeds. And I thought, well, I'll give them a go. I'll plant them early, a bit thicker. And if they fail, I'll sort of you know, fill the gaps. Mm. They virtually all come up. And, and that seed with a sow by 2017. So broad beans, runner beans, peas, those sort of things will will keep. Um, chili and pepper seeds will keep well too. Mm. And Again, it all depends if you've opened the packet as well. I mean, you know, most seeds these days, I mean, um, foil packets, they're hermetically sealed. So, you know, that they will last longer. But once you've opened that foil packet and the air gets in, then, um, you know, the life of the seed goes right down. Mm. Yeah. So um, what do you store your seeds in? I've got metal tins, mm. um, various metal tins. Um, I've got a couple of plastic tins too, but I mean, it's nothing that scientific apart from just, you know, trying to keep them... Um, obviously obviously dry yeah um and um but as i say you've got to be much more careful once you've opened a packet of seeds and that makes everything much more problematic yeah and do you do anything with them you know with the old seeds do you sort of soak them overnight or anything before you're going to sow them or do you just chuck them in and hope for the best or do you have any techniques for that with, with these broad beans, I didn't soak them, to be honest, no. this year, but I did um, water the holes because you use a dibber for the holes. So yeah. once I'd done the, the dibbing for the holes, I then watered in the holes, then put the beans in the holes, then watered on the beans, then watered on top when I filled them over. So yeah. gave them every chance sort of thing. You know? yeah. um, and you know, 
once the seed has swollen back up to you know, its growing size, and it, it should then germinate. But obviously, the, the, there is an eventual shelf life. But, mm-hmm. but you, you can save quite a lot of your own seeds. Certain seeds you can save. I, mean, I save, save all my own chili and pepper seeds. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I even save seeds from peppers from ones we bought in the shops, maybe in the you know, during the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Save the seeds, sow them. Um, Save raw bean seeds, save runner bean seeds. The only thing you have to be careful about is saving seeds from F1 hybrids because they usually don't come true. Yeah. 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 So and as you pr- probably know, the F1 hybrid seeds tend to be the most expensive to buy mm. as well because of the um, process that's gone through for the manufacturer or the seed company to make them. So yeah. you've got to be careful what you do save, but you can certainly um, save yourself some money from saving the right seeds, mm-hmm. shall we say. Yeah, and I think it's another one of those things that um, – part of the fun of gardening is experimenting with stuff isn't it That's so right. if you haven't saved any seeds before it's another thing that at the end of the season where things are perhaps slowing up a tiny bit it's a great thing to be able to give a try because mm. whether they work or not you haven't lost anything <laughs> no, and you've got to be careful about sort of the saving process i mean if you um save some pepper seed for example and, or chili seed you can't just say well i'm, I'm going to keep that pod then and it's it's sort of still like a moist pepper or chili that you can eat because then it will rot and then the seeds will rot inside. So you need to actually get those seeds out and dry them relatively quickly or dry the pot itself out like you know, in, a, in a very dry place, like an airing cupboard or mm. on a greenhouse shelf. It isn't going to get watered, say. Mm. Um, yeah. You can't just put some aside and hope. I think anything in, in, in gardening based on sort of hope and hit and miss, it's like any, anything else in life is more doomed to failure, you know, the more you learn from experience and the more you do things in a structured, methodical way, the more likely you are to be successful. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think as well there's the element that we talk about quite a lot on here that um, also the every season is different. Right. So you might have amazing success with something one year and not the next year, but yeah. it's kind of part of the fun, isn't it, that you never know what's going to be your best crop that year. Very much so, yeah. I mean, if you... If, I mean, let's come back to tomatoes and talk about blight. Um, last two summers, I've put 30 tomato plants, out, um, particularly plum ones, outdoors. It's, it's to add to my other 40, because <laughs> I like tomatoes. <laughs> and um, and there hasn't really been blight. Whereas if you get a summer where there's quite a lot of rain, particularly in that sort of late July, early August time, because plants are all right when they start off, but then mm. you get a lot of um, you get moist, mild weather. Mm. And it, it's exactly the same thing which caused a potato blight in Ireland back in the 19th century, you know, a, a, a wet, moist summer, you know, potato family, tomato family, the same family of plants. Mm. Um, and that can literally spell disaster. And, and tomatoes getting blight, the same as potatoes, it can be just one day ago, they're fine. Two days later, crop destroyed. Yeah. So, And that's one you can't do that much about. I mean, you used to, bad to, to buy copper sulfate to... Um, to put on them but I don't think you can buy those products as, as freely or as easily as you used to be able to mm. but again that's putting chemicals on plants which I try to avoid uh, mm. I like things like companion plants like marigolds around yeah. tomatoes in the greenhouse for example it's much better than spraying yeah definitely um, so moving you on to the next question um, is usually whether you've got any hacks or shortcuts I mean I feel like we've already nabbed a couple of those from you so far already but for anybody that might be listening at home and looking for ideas to save a bit of time in the garden if they're 
going back to work in the office at the moment or looking to save a bit more money? Yeah. Have you got any of those? Yeah, sure. Um, the first thing is more of a, of a general one. And I sometimes talk about this in business because I run a gardening business too. But this one's about um, growing things for yourself. And mm. the little phrase I, I would say is be hungry, not starving. That's not necessarily related to, to eating things, but just to go in, just going to say that, you know, you know, try to be successful, try to get something out of your garden or your allotment, do the best you can, but don't think it's going to you know, be the provider of all. It's, it, it's not going to replace going to the shops. It can complement what you buy from the shops and, um, you know, be prepared for more failures than successes at, at the start. Yeah. Um, I've often heard people say, oh, you grow your own stuff, so oh, you you don't need to go to the shops then. And I say, well, well, yeah, I do. Yeah, Yeah, that's really true, yeah. Yeah, I think particularly the March to May period, I mean, they used to call it the fallow period or the the lean period. And again, going back to medieval times, that that was a time when people starved. People didn't starve in the middle of the winter when they had food um, stored. It it was actually in spring, this sort of time when everything's being planted and all the store crops are are gone. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing scavenge is one thing there's always always free stuff number of times i've seen people giving away pots or yeah you know, they've all things they don't want for their garden or old trays or whatever there's always things you can you can find that that other people don't want um which can then save you having to buy them that's one of my tips yeah another one is a broken tool is a new tool like i'm just talking about dibbers we don't need to buy a dibber that's you know, that's your broken rake from last year yeah cut in half mm. um yeah. for example um Crop rotation and um, crop succession is something I practice a lot here. Sort of knowing what's going to follow what either from one year to the other, or even during a particular year. But take um, so where my early potatoes grow each year, and you start digging your potatoes in early June. It'll probably be later this year because things are later. But mm-hmm. so you dug your first two rows of potatoes up by the middle of June. Well, that's then where you plant your sprouting broccoli because you would normally mm-hmm. have your seedlings of sprouting broccoli sown about now. You've got your young plants in ready in June. So they go in where your um, potatoes were. Yeah. Well, I put manure for my chickens in between the rows of the potatoes. There's a kind of a mulch just to sort of a, I like to cool them as well. And um, so then those broccoli go in where, um, where that was in, in the soil that's been not manured as such, but mulched. And it seems to work really well. That's mm-hmm. a good. Um, so, yeah. And then obviously year year on year too, like the, um, the area where I've had courgettes the previous year, um, and they have a lot of mulch on them, a lot of um, chicken muck on, on them, then that's where I grow the potatoes the next year. So I've, I've currently planted my potatoes for 2021 where the courgettes are in 2020. So I know not everybody might ha- not have as much space as that, but thinking about what um, follows in succession in a particular year and how you'll rotate your crops year to year. I mean, the other o- obvious one is your root crops, you know, making sure your parsnips and carrots don't go on to... Um, Fresher manure ground because you'll just end up with forking mm-hmm. um, rather than cylindrical roots. Yeah. Another thing is location, location, location. They say that about houses, but um, that's also a thing for your garden too, isn't it? I mean, I, I grow mm. a lot of chilies, um, peppers, and they go in the hottest part, the south-facing wall. Um, and what will grow easily with one aspect of a garden will will literally fail moves. 10 yards further across. It isn't necessarily about the climate of the UK or of Colchester mm. or even the weather of both examples there. It's actually knowing your garden, learning what works well in different places and being prepared to move things around and to you know, going off on there really. Yeah. 
Um, you mentioned um, just briefly there that you run a gardening business as well. Yes. Um, so in terms of this sort of reminded me of people going back to whatever their um, whatever their jobs are. So what would your tips be for juggling the garden with your work? Because, I mean, that must be quite strange having a garden related job and then having to juggle that with your own garden <laughs> as well. well it- in terms of other people and their gardens, I would say what I used to do when I was a teacher, you know, I would leave for work early and wouldn't get home usually till at least six at night, is you're then straight down the garden and you're watering things in the summer. Um, I would often even do that, still wearing my suit, thinking back to the old days. Um, I've often heard people say, well, I haven't got time for gardening, yet they might see their relaxation as coming home and sitting down and having a cup of tea and, you know, few that's the end of work. Well, I think if you're in a a busy, hard-working job, which a lot of people are, then you need to see your garden as your relaxation rather than, you know, you, you, you've got to be quite smart with your time. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But as regards me now, um, a lot of the things that I do in my garden aren't necessarily the same things that I do when working for other people. I mean, it's got, got three main categories of work that I, I suppose, do as a gardening business, but the main things I'm recovery and clearance and general maintenance within people's gardens mm. um as much as i love talking about runner beans and broad beans and salvias and fuchsias and geraniums most people um, want you to do the either the graft bits or the bits they can't do or the bits they haven't got time to do um, um a lot of the hard work shall we say mm. um so it's quite different gardening in the day to what it is um, coming home to my own garden really yeah mm. um but um but I do feel strongly about this. I um, haven't got time to, um, for my garden. If if gardening's your passion or it's, or it's your developing passion, and, and everybody you know, wants something different out of their garden, then um, as long as you put your garden as one of your priorities, then you will find time for it. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, there's the thought that gardens actually need an awful lot of time, but you can you can manage it just sort of popping down a couple of times a week if you're managing your watering mm-hmm. and various things can't you well that then comes down to the allotment thing i mean I've, I've got a kind of an allotment area but in my own garden so i'm sort of down there two or three times a day and if you've got an allotment and you can't go every day and you know i think most people who've got an allotment who actually work probably couldn't go every day you then got to think carefully about what you are growing because back to my point about tomatoes you know they need watering twice a day during the growing season and wouldn't be the ideal crop to put in the ground for a gardener who can't go to their allotment every day. Whereas other crops, I mentioned potatoes and brassicas, good example, um, can be um, left for a few days before you go back. So back to your point about time, really, um, much better to put seven half hours each day into your garden mm. than three and a half hours on a Sunday. Mm. But some people have only got three and a half hours on a Sunday, say. And so then you, you just got to tailor then what you grow according to your own time schedule. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before we let you get back to your garden, we always just like to finish on the the question, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned since you've been gardening? <laughs> um, I think that, I would say the biggest one is, and people always ask me for advice, which links back to a blog on Blogspot I started writing in 2013, because a lot of my wife's friends used to ask, well, how does Dave do this and how does Dave do that? And I ended up sort of putting it into a blog. But the biggest thing I've always tried to think around that and sort of advising people, because you know, 
most people don't want to know everything that I know. I've le- learned a lot over the years. But my number one lesson really is you never know it all. And mm. um, every year I learn something. Every year I try and grow something new based around the knowledge that I've got. You know, it might be a new variety of tomato or I'm growing a new variety of beetroot this year, for mm. example. Um, I hadn't grown chilies at all in, in, until I think 15 years ago. Now it's one of my key crops. So, you know, learn, listen, and try to, you know, learn what works for you. That would be the biggest lesson. And yeah. then the other thing is really linked to the weather and climate. You can't blame the weather forecast if it says that there might not be a frost and then there is one in your own garden. Yeah. You've got to start becoming almost a kind of a mini weatherman yourself or a weather person. <laughs> um, know your own garden's microclimate. Um, if you're in a countryside location, it's going to be colder than the town. If you're on a slope, the bottom of the slope is going to be colder than the top of it. Um, think, think about the aspect that I've already mentioned. That there'll be colder areas of your garden and warmer areas. And, you know, really learn to read your garden, read the seasons, mm. read the weather around the climate, the two things that inextricably interlinked. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. And um, we'll let you get out into this glorious sunshine that we're having in culture today and uh, check in on all your plants. And anyway, Laura, I guess it's time that we went and spoke about envy. Yes. Envy is a family-run, environmentally conscious business based in Derbyshire, supplying high-quality, high-concentrated garden solutions straight to your home. Their award-winning range consists of organic fertilisers, soil conditioners and pest control products, as well as some truly unique products that encourage earthworms in soil and improve the quality of shop-bought compost. Envy believes small packages can lead to big possibilities. By using packets where possible to hold their premium ingredients, they're able to reduce their packaging by an astonishing 96% on average. The MV range is available to buy from their easy-to-use website where they offer free UK mainland delivery on every order. The website contains lots of useful growing guides and gardening content for both amateur and experienced gardeners alike. Their knowledgeable customer services team are available to offer help and advice. Go green with MV at mv.co.uk. That's envii.co.uk. Hi, both of you. Have you both got a cup of tea or coffee and ready to get stuck into some news stories? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. I'll get us uh, kicked off. Um, So this is an interesting one that I saw in the Herald Scotland um, on their website. So I know recently we've been talking a lot about how to encourage and sort of invite wildlife into the garden. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously, one of the most popular ways of doing that is bird feeders. Um, And lots of brands sort of sell bird feeders on the back of uh, the claim that they're squirrel proof. But um, Matthew Tume from the RSPB says that no bird feeders really are. So, um, yeah, if, if we've been sort of worrying about squirrel-proofing the bird feeders, he says it's sort of impossible to do it completely. Um, but the, he did sort of offer a few tips on workarounds. Right. And I just thought that was, uh, yeah, maybe an interesting compliment to some of, the, some of the wildlife discussion we've had recently. So one thing you can do is, is um, 
different seed mixes are more attractive to birds and squirrels. So there's a lot of advice out there on that. The other thing is placement. So if you put your bird feeder right up near the fence, then it's easy for a squirrel, obviously, to run along it and jump Mm. onto Mm. your bird feeder. Um, And... The other, the other thing is sort of natural alternatives. So I know personally here we had uh, teasels in the garden, which attracted a lot of bullfinches and, yeah. you know, different birds like different uh, different plants, don't they? So I don't, have, it, have you two had any, any plants in, in the garden that have attracted particular bird species or anything like that or, or any natural alternatives to a bird feeder maybe? Um, not really here because uh, as I think I've mentioned on a couple of previous episodes we have the seagulls that are like the size of small dogs here so yeah we don't tend to get a lot of other little birds although I did see a sparrow in the garden yesterday which I thought you know quick get out before the big (laughs) big seagulls (laughs) arrive um but no that would be really interesting to know in a in an area that isn't policed by enormous seagulls yeah. um going back to squirrels again i do have a resident squirrel that's uh i don't know he doesn't look like a baby but wasn't here last year and um keeps well all through the winter he seemed to be burying food and stuff in um my planters outside mm. which was qu- kind of cute at the time i was like <laughs> oh look at him and i obviously saving it up for later but has now been rummaging when I've been planting seeds and keeps like knocking the seeds out or eating them or something and now stuff isn't coming up so not too impressed (laughs) that's a disaster well I'll have to look up um look up the name of it because I can't off the top of my head remember but there was a YouTube video a while back it it might have been last year I think that got really massive about this man who made an assault course for squirrels in his garden because they'd been um I think they'd been stealing from bird feeders actually so he set up this whole thing with like um like things they had to climb up and go around and go through and then there were platforms that if they went on them the platform spring like springed that's not a word like sprung up and you know (laughs) threw them off and then they were so clever that they eventually worked out um sorry spoilers here for anyone that wants to go and watch the video but um (laughs) they managed to work out how to get around it to get the nuts and stuff i'm gonna google it now oh, they're so, I can so tell clever you aren't called. they chat, chat amongst yourselves no, that, while I that, do this. that was it that was just what I, the the rspb guy was saying he said eventually they they figure out all, all of these squirrel proof feeders they just figure mm-hmm. them out and they're cleverer than you think yeah. right i found the link for anybody who might want to watch it um it is called Sorry, very slow loading on my computer. Drum roll, please. It's called building building the perfect building the perfect squirrel proof bird feeder by Mark Roba. Roba. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the RSPB can see that. So is is building the perfect one actually is that possible though? Or is the perfect one still, do they still learn how to get around? I think if you have the skills, knowledge and time and space to create an immense assault course for squirrels, it can take them a few days to learn it. (laughs) (laughs) So you can only delay the inevitable. (laughs) 
Um, so I'm going to move us on to my story for the week, which um, I was scrolling through um, and I came across these vegetables and fruits that looked like um, a fast food burger and chips. And I was like, this looks creative. What is this? And the headline is single dad makes incredible food creations to encourage his daughter to eat vegetables. Um, so it's this guy who, um, obviously you know what kids are like. I was like this as a kid, you don't want to eat your greens. You don't want to eat your healthy stuff. So he's, um, turning it into little pieces of art so that she, um, is more likely to eat them. So we've got Peppa Pig, we've got, um, Olaf, the snowman from Frozen, made from mashed potato. Uh, there's a little <laughs> Easter scene. Um, it's super, super cute. He puts a lot of effort into it. So I don't know how long this takes. <laughs> I hope she does actually end up eating them after all of this effort. Um, yeah. I mean, that could be so the it's pretty, problem. Pretty cool. Like, it's so beautiful. Do you even want to eat it? <laughs> no, I know that some of them are amazing. I also really like the mashed potato volcano. Yeah, I think that's my That's favorite. pretty epic with baked beans coming out of it. I mean, they're not particularly healthy, but yeah, pretty cool. Love it. I mean, so maybe this should be a challenge for some other podcast sometime soon. We all bring our lunch. Who can make the best scene out of what they've grown? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so coming on to something that I have found... Um, on the cornwalllive.com website. Um, I think you're both going to enjoy this. Let me just ask you to start off. Have you ever, you know, when you're doing an online shop or anything, accidentally ordered the wrong quantity, you know, like you wanted to order four bananas but ended up accidentally ordering four bags of bananas instead or something like that? <laughs> No, I don't do that much online shopping, so I've never encountered this, but I know that um, it is quite a common problem, isn't it? Well, yeah, it can be easily done, but it turns out it's not just food shopping it can be easily done with. So basically what has happened, a green-fingered gardening gran is going to need some bigger flower beds after a miscalculation <laughs> which resulted in 12 tonnes of compost being delivered to her doorstep. Oh my God, 12 tons. Wow. 12 tons. I mean, if you look on the, if you look on the Cornwall Live website at the story, she's standing on top of the pile of compost and is nearly as tall as her house. Um, yeah, I mean, she said she was trying to work out how much she'd need, factoring in that the unit cost was lower for a bigger load. So she ordered three dumpy bags of compost, expecting to have enough to fill the 3.9 meter by 1.3 meter rose beds. However, when the delivery arrived, 12 tons of compost were dumped in front of her house. Oh no. I love that so, photo on the article of her just standing on top with a spade, like she's going to sort of. <laughs> Just yeah. make use of it all. She said the compost is going to be put to good use though and she's going to make some more beds. I think she'll need to make a lot more beds judging by this. Um, but she said it's also been a bit of a talking point in the community and yeah. um, it's kept the kids entertained and the neighbours have enjoyed seeing it. And she said a lot of people that saw the pictures on Facebook have popped over to have a look. Um, and it took her a couple of weeks to get it to the allotment as she only has a wheelbarrow. So if there's a lesson in this, I think it's whenever you're ordering compost online, 
always check. <laughs> just always check how much compost you're ordering. <laughs> well, because you might just, end up with just 12 check tons. it's not twelve tons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I, I feel like we should contact this woman and and see if she is succeeding to make in making use of it. <laughs> yes, and we would. I, I mean, if you're listening come on the dirt because we would love to hear if this ended up being a success or a failure. <laughs> I think it could fit into either category. Um, so, Blake and George, I think you have both got to get back to the magazine now and I have got some jobs on the plot. If you've been growing first early potatoes in grow bags undercover you're likely to be able to make your first harvests now, with your garden neighbours looking on enviously. But don't worry, because potatoes aren't the only harvest we can look forward to this month, so if yours aren't ready, there is still some stuff you can pick. Soft new growth on herb plants is an excellent addition to herb butters, for making your own dried herbs, or even for freezing, so take some harvests now. Also, asparagus spears will be pushing their way through the soil this month, So cut this delicious culinary treat and it will encourage the crowns to produce more. In the fruit garden, this time in the year is key for fruit sets, so make sure your plants are well watered to avoid any checks in growth, as this will impact your eventual harvest quantity and quality. Now is the perfect time to start feeding your pot-grown crops with liquid fertiliser. Check what the feeding needs are for your specific plants. It isn't just our fruit and veg crops that love this part of the season either. Weeds do too, so keep on top of your weeding regime, having the plants off at seedling stage so they don't have the chance to take hold. Have a great week in the garden, and until next time, happy growing. Thank you for listening to The Dirt, in association with Envy. You can find an amazing range of high-quality organic feeds, fertilisers and pest control products at envy.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for The Dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share let us know by emailing the dirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk